one of the first lessons that is that you will spend in that Bible study is talking about an Old Testament and a New Testament, the languages in which the Bible is written, and then how you actually find a book and then how it's broken down into chapter and into verse. This is where you start with people nowadays. You should be thankful that God has anchored you and given you an understanding of his word and the ability to maneuver through it, but a lot of people in our world today don't have the capacity to even find a passage of scripture. And so many times in Bible study, some of you say, well, I, I'm not a Bible scholar. I can't teach a Bible study. You don't need to be a Bible scholar nowadays because uh, people uh, are so secularized that scripture is not even something that they know how to maneuver through. And so we have great, great opportunity if God has influenced you, directed you, and you have the ability to turn to a book, chapter, and a verse, you are a person that can help someone else. And so this passage comes from a group of verses found in Philippians chapter number three. And it starts at the very beginning. Paul says, in the beginning, this is where he starts his train of thought. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Just for a few moments right now, I want you to think about something, and I want us to rejoice in that. Anybody got something in mind? That there is a reason? Praise God. All right, let's rejoice together. Lord, I thank you for the breath to breathe tonight. Thank you for opportunity of coming to the house of God and lifting up my voice. Hallelujah. Thank you for breath and health and life, and I'm in the house of God. And I'm rejoicing in that tonight and giving to you thanks. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it's safe. And then he gives some warnings. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. What he's saying is there are a group. He calls them dogs. He calls them evil workers. He calls them the concision. Because there was an element that was coming in to the church at Philippi, and they were those of the concision, which stated you had to be circumcised to be saved. That was a plank of salvation. And Paul said these are, these are people of the concision. They're evil workers. They're dogs. They're coming to bring destruction and disunity. He says we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul said, if there's anybody that's been circumcised, it's we who have been circumcised of the heart, who have been filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what matters and that's what God has called us to be and do. We have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence that circumcision is going to save anybody. And people that do and come in and try to split and cause schisms and disunity, Paul said, they are evil workers. We have no confidence in the flesh. Not only a confidence of circumcision, but Paul said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. If it's a matter of trusting in this flesh, or if it's a matter of something being done to this flesh that is going to save, Paul said, I have the ability to stand up and testify about that. And the reasons I have that ability 
is I've got the pedigree. And he starts describing all of his um, skills and his heritage and the particulars that come with that. In verse number five, he said, if you want to talk about circumcision and the concision, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. You talk about a pedigree, Paul would say, I had the pedigree. And not only that, as touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But Paul said, when you look at all of that, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them as dung. Paul said, if you're talking about confidence in the flesh, I had everything and every reason to be confident in the flesh. But he said, all of that means absolutely nothing. It is as but dung because I'm pursuing something that is greater than a confidence in the flesh. I'm pursuing something that is a confidence in the spirit. I'm not trusting in the flesh, but I'm trusting in the anointing of God. The presence of God and the spirit of God. And that excellency is what is inspiring me and it's what is driving me and it's what is motivating me. If you come to the house of God and you say, well, I wasn't born into a family here. It doesn't matter. As long as there's something in your heart to serve God, God can elevate you and God can use you. Well, I'm not educated. That doesn't matter either because God's not looking at whether or not you're educated or not. He's looking as to whether or not you are willing to be a vessel in his hand to be used of him in the kingdom. Also, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think much about all of that. As a matter of fact, he called it dung. He said there's something that is inspiring me. The things that are in front of me the things that I'm pursuing, I'm pursuing something that is excellent, and it's like seeing a sunrise that is coming up. And the darkness of the night is behind me, and I'm seeing greater things. The sun is coming up. The light has broken into the darkness, and so this is what is motivating me. And I'm trying to win. I'm trying to succeed. I'm trying to achieve. There is a goal in front of me. I want to be better. I'm pursuing the kingdom of God and the calling of God. There's a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I don't count the flesh as anything but a walk with God is what is important and I'm pursuing that goal he said that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith then he says that I this is what this is what he's trying to achieve this is what is driving him, inspiring him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
Praise God. We like that, that phrase right there, the power of his resurrection. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. But Paul also said, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I know there are going to be difficult times. I know I'm going to face pressures and circumstances and stresses of life, but I'm going to identify in the fellowship of his suffering and also in the power of his resurrection. I want to be made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I'm pursuing something that is greater than this life and greater than this flesh. I want a spiritual transformation to take place in my heart and in my life that consumes me and conforms me to the God that I serve. Jesus Christ that's given me the opportunity. I want to be made conformable unto that death so that I can live a life that is pleasing to him because I recognize this world is not my home. I'm passing through. There is something greater that is happening in my life. Praise God. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Now, when he says all of that, and all of that is really, really good. It's really good. <laughs> We, we, we gravitate toward the power, but many times we shun the suffering part. I, I don't want any suffering. I don't want to go through that. If you're a child of God and you're going to be a saint of God and you're going to be called of God, you're going to face some suffering walking this faithful life. It is going to happen. It's, it's a matter of whether or not you're going to take the world's mentality and say, I don't want that. I'm not following it. Or if you're going to take God's mentality that said, I'll lay down everything. I'll be betrayed. I'll be persecuted. Okay, they can spit on me. I'll turn the other cheek. There's something greater. Somebody's soul is in the balance. So if it means me having to be patient and having to take an understanding that I may have to forgive and walk away from some things, that's what I'm going to pursue because I would rather identify with Jesus Christ than my own flesh or with the world. Praise God. And then this, that leads us to the perplexing conundrum. That's a good one. Turn to your neighbor. Don't fall asleep. Sing your life. It's been a long day. <laughs> Thank you for being honest. Your hand went up pretty fast. <laughs> it's been a long day. Praise God. The perplexing conundrum. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what is the perplexing conundrum. In the text verse. The conundrum is when he continues to say, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I get that. I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He's done great things for me, and therefore I need to pursue and reciprocate what he's done. I get that. But this one thing I do, he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. If, and if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. The rule is let us seek perfection. Let's, let's, 
let's, let's be motivated by that. But the perplexing conundrum in the text verse that we read is when he gets to the forgetting part. And the reason why it's a conundrum, now it's a conundrum to me, and, and I feel led to speak about this, teach about this, because of the intersection between uh, working with someone who has a past and difficulties and struggles, and that can become so chaotic in their life that they are never able to get their head up and they never are able to move forward. And so this is the reason why I'm teaching this here tonight. It is obvious that this forgetting is closely attached to what is in the past. Failures realized in the course of life in which one wishes they could truly expunge that out of my life. Anybody hearing what I'm saying in this place tonight? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Every single one of us would love to expunge some things out of our life that we did, said that we wish we could take back, and it is not going to happen, right? It's there. It's on the record. It, there's nothing you can do about it. It's something that you can't simply just forget, and that's the conundrum. That's the conundrum. How is it that I get past some things in my life? Because it seems like there's always a record there, and the enemy loves to leverage us. When, they, when he tries to take control of the narrative in our life by pointing out all of our inadequacies. And those things can become so elevated that, that we can't even come to the house of God with our head up. We can't even look people in the eye. And we certainly can never enter into the, the calling of God that God has placed in our life in the kingdom of God because we're constantly beating ourselves over the head because of what the enemy is telling us. And I know I'm supposed to be just teaching, but I feel like preaching right here because that is a lie from the pit of hell. Everybody's got dirty laundry. And Paul here, this is what is perplexing, it's that forgetting part. And certainly in the life of Saul, Paul, this is part of his DNA. So he should understand and know what he's talking about. Maybe, maybe I'm just not getting something in, in what he's saying. This is the Saul that persecuted the church. This is the Saul that was wreaking havoc on families. He was disrupting lives. And then, although he didn't murder Stephen directly, indirectly, he was standing there consenting unto his death and holding the coats of everybody that stoned Stephen. This is Saul. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 17, Paul even talks about how traumatic this was in his life, this background, this past, this persecuting the church, this wreaking havoc and, and the ripple effect that it was having. Because when God knocked him off of the horse on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And God transforms his life and moves in his life and then starts to move him in a position where he can be used of God, he's going to have to face all of those past failures. And this is why when he writes to the church in Galatia, he says in verse number one, or verse 17 of chapter number one, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. 
Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Paul said this thing was so traumatic. Now, we, we could just read over that and think, well, he was gone for three years. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, there was some blood, sweat, and tears in seeking God those three years when Paul is thinking about everything in his past and God is trying to transform him and mold him and shape him into understanding. You're not Saul anymore. You're Paul. And I've got a calling of God in your life and you're going to do great things. And there no doubt was a struggle between. I know that's what you said to me. I know that you're calling me. But what about all this stuff? And so there is the struggle between what I once was and what I can be. And so he's there in that neutral position trying to deal with all of that for three years. Out into Arabia, into Damascus. He didn't even go into the apostles' arena of influence until finally he does after three years. And he meets with Peter and he spends 15 days with him. But he says in verse 19, but other of the apostles saw I none. Say James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, before, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. That's pretty big of the church, wasn't it? I mean, they could have said, there's no entrance here, pal. You can't come back in here after persecution and after disrupting and chaos and everything else. You're not invited to this church. They glorified God in him. I think that's a great testimony. You know what? Somebody may have fallen seven times. We'll still open the door and say, you know what? Maybe the eighth time something's going to happen. God's, God's going to do something in your life, elevate you. Something's going to click and God's going to use you. They glorified God. So Paul recognizes this struggle, this very struggle. His background was very much an issue at the beginning of his ministry. And he says in this passage, forgetting those things which are behind, but I'm telling you, and, and I'm not arguing with Apostle Paul because I've done a little study, but I'm telling you forgetting is an impossibility. Well, that was kind of quiet. That didn't go anywhere, did it? Forgetting doesn't mean it goes away from the human perspective. Oh, praise God. That's a powerful message. It's really good. It's really good. It's really good. You're helping me tonight. You're helping me, Lord. It doesn't mean that the record somehow is expunged and it's all gone. Because it's still there. We still deal with it. We still struggle with it. So what is he talking about? One of the greatest obstacles facing people many times is their past. I know what I'm talking about. I, there's an individual been coming to this church and struggling with that. They are so down on themselves, they do not believe. And you, you're sitting there probably thinking, he's talking about me. I'm not talking about you, son. You, you can rest assured that somebody, you don't even know who it is. Okay? 
they're so down on themselves and all the stuff that they've done that they don't feel like God could even forgive them, walk with them, and this is what's holding them up from stepping into identifying with Jesus Christ in baptism and allowing God's mercy to cover them. Praise God. I rebuke that spirit and the enemy in Jesus' name. I don't care what you have... I don't care what you have done, what you've gone through. God's a God that makes a way. People can get so, so down on themselves that they can't get their head up. And so this, is, this causes problems. Some have even reflected on power, on Paul's powerful statement at the end of Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 35. Beautiful, poetic words that is very, very transforming when Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who, he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sore? He's asking these questions. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then he said, I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate you. And some have pondered and questioned. Well, you know, he said that there is, there is nothing present and there's nothing to come. So the present and what is to come is the future, but he never says anything about the past. And so they, they've wondered, we, we don't know if, he, if that was even a problem in Paul's thinking, but certainly in reading the passage of Scripture, the past is not there. How, how powerful, if, if we could put ourselves in the mind of Paul and knew exactly what he was talking about, how powerful would that have been had he said, there is nothing, I'm persuaded that there is nothing, there is no past, no present, and no future. But he left the past out there. So this, is, this has caused some to note the absence of the past. And though we don't know for certain where he's coming from, we can surmise that the past is very much an obstacle that can be in the way. Now, be in the way of people coming to God and be in the way of people that are doing things presently for the kingdom of God. It's a human condition. So when he says forgetting those things which are behind, how do you... Just for because most of the time when we think of forgetting, we think of it in terms of defining it as things like failing to remember something. I forgot. He he forgot his lines. He forgot the lyrics to the song. It's it's not that it's something that you don't have on record. It's just something that you have forgotten. You failed to recall or failed to think. Uh, he forgot where he parked his car. Has that ever happened to you? My uncle one time in North Dakota, North Dakota, you leave the car running when you go in the grocery store because it's too cold. When it's 20, 30 below, you don't turn the car off because you'll freeze to death when you come back out. And so he came out, he went in, came, came back out, he got in a Toyota Tercel, little white, little caravan looking car. And he, he drives out of the parking lot, looks over his shoulder to make sure there's nobody coming. And when he does, he sees something in the back seat and realizes that's not his car. <laughs> He's in the wrong Toyota Tercel. And so he pulls back in, pulls up, he gets out, he finds his car, and he drives off in his car. 
Thankfully, nobody walked out with their groceries to see their car driving off. And he didn't have to face the embarrassment of that. These are the ways that we typically think of forgetting something. I forgot to close the door. That doesn't mean that it is, it's closing the door has been expunged from my memory. Now I will never close any doors anymore because I forgot. No, that, that means you, you, you just messed up one time. Now, if you constantly forget to close the door, there may be a problem. <laughs> you may consider having something checked, but that means to put something out of mind or, or thinking of considering something, forgetting, forgetting. I stopped thinking about it or I, I cease to think about it or I put it out of my mind. It doesn't mean when you put it out of your mind that it goes away. It's still there. You've just been able to suppress it for a certain time period. This is one of the reasons why addictions are so very, very powerful. Why, why, do, why do people get involved in addictive behaviors? Because they want to what? Forget. Well, Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind. I'm moving forward. As if somehow you can just expunge that. It's gone. It's over. And done. <laughs> I'm moving forward. The reason why people get in addictive behaviors is because they want to forget but it's only momentary. Still there. You say, well, I'm coming to the house of God. Uh, Holy Ghost is going to fill me with the Holy Ghost, and everything's going to be taken away. It's going to be good. It's all going to be gone. No, it's still there, isn't it? Yeah, it's there. It's still there. It doesn't just disappear. So what, what in the world is, is Paul talking about? This type of forgetting does not remove the memory of the failure. And it ain't ever going to do it. That sounds much better than saying it will never do it. It ain't ever gonna do it. How's that for all you grammaticians? It ain't ever gonna do it. Still going to be there. Still going to be a, a, a struggle. So there has to be something at play in this passage of Scripture. Paul is saying, I'm forgetting those things behind. What in the You can't just forget things in your past. It's always there. It doesn't go away. So what is he talking about? There's got to be something deeper here. And this is why I, 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 I dug into the scripture to find out a little more. Now, there is something that happens in Dave Ramsey's class that's very, very fascinating when he's talking to people about debt and carrying debt and what have you. Uh, and there's a certain point in it where he starts talking about the gazelle and the cheetah thing. And he, he's noticed that people that excel and get out of debt, there's an attitude, there's a mentality that is connected and associated with them getting out of debt. And he notices there's two types of people. There's the people that, hey, we, we got to do something about it. I mean, they're concerned. He said they're almost angry about this. And then you have the other folks that, well, let's see, what, you know, what, what's your idea? And that's, that's pretty cool. He said those people are probably not the people that are going to really, really do what it takes to get out of debt. It's somebody with a mentality. And he said he noticed this when viewing patterns over time. He saw this. And then at the same time of seeing that mentality, that, that urgency, the urgency, the urgency, and then coupled with a scripture reading. He read a scripture in Proverbs, and it was having to do with parental counsel. And it said, my son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, that's an old school term for debt. If, if you're in debt to your neighbor and you've given a pledge for a stranger, a stranger has control over you. Uh, and if you've been snared, and it goes on and, and so forth, and, he, and it gets to the end of this particular passage, and it says, 
Here's the answer. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And so he was wondering, what is that about a gazelle? How does that get me out of debt? And what's going on there? And then he realized at some point that the hunter doesn't necessarily have to be a human hunting a gazelle. But the hunter in the wild is the gazelle's most formidable enemy, which happens to be a cheetah. A cheetah, in terms of miles per hour, can reach a top speed of 69 to 75 miles an hour. And they can maintain that speed for about .28 miles. They can hit, this is amazing, they can hit, at, they can hit 60 miles an hour in three seconds. One and two and three. Boom! 60 miles an hour. A cheetah can. And so a gazelle has, has to have an understanding in the wild that if I'm going to escape or I'm going to survive, there's got to be a mentality that says when you feel the environment has changed and there is something that is stalking you, the gazelle is saying, run, 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 escape. There's a gazelle out here, and I've got to get away from the most formidable enemy. you got to run, run, run. There's an urgency there. And in terms of getting out of debt, there has to be the same urgency. I'm convinced that in terms of being a revival church, there has to be the same urgency. I wish a devil would just go away and leave me alone. You need the devil. You know what happens when you take the predator out of the environment? What happens? All kinds of crazy stuff starts happening. You take the predator out of the environment, then other populations grow, and then all of a sudden, the whole ecosystem falls apart. So the predator is something that is necessary in order to maintain the balance. Now, I know the devil, he can only do as much as God allows him to do. But when he's out there prowling around, and I know that he's out there prowling around, I'm going to make sure that I'm on my best behavior to understand. I've got an understanding of what he's trying to do, where he is, and I'm going to make sure he never, ever catches me because I'm going to move and keep moving. I'm going to run. I'm going to escape. I'm going to fly. And that takes an urgency. This is why we pray. This is why we worship. This is why we magnify God. This is why we have powerful church. Because there's an urgency. There's a predator. There's a cheetah. He's coming. He's coming. some arteries we should have an hey really though really let me just say it this way we should have an urgency right there's people out there dying because the predator 
Praise God. And so I started looking at this word closely, and it is epilanthomai. It's a combination of epi, which is a preposition, and lantho, epilanthomai. It's a Greek word, so I started digging into it to try to figure out what is the root word, what is the root meaning that is found in that particular word that Paul was using. And I found that what it means, its primitive root, is to escape notice. I'm going to, I'm going to escape notice of what is behind. I'm going to, so, so basically, what he's saying is from the human standpoint, the past and all your failures are not going to disappear. Stop wishing they were. They're not going anywhere. Okay? Okay? Will somebody say okay? They're, they're not going anywhere. And they will, they will crush you unless you escape notice, unless you escape from the hunter. You escape from the devil. You escape from the accuser of the brethren. Everybody has to escape. When Abraham should have stayed in the land and trusted the Lord. He went to Egypt, and then he tried to pass off his wife as his sister. A terrible, terrible failure. And that wasn't the last of Abraham's failures. So how did he become a hero of the faith? He escaped his failures. He still remembers what he did. I'm sure Sarah's sitting there saying, Abraham, you remember the time in Egypt when you tried to pass me off as your sister and you gave me to another man? And Abraham, oh, no, I forgot about that. It's gone, gone, gone. <laughs> right? That didn't happen, did it? Abraham still remembered that, but he was able to escape from the failure of that and say, wait a minute, God's called me to greater things. I'm not, I'm not going to live there. That thing's not going to crush me. I'm going to escape out of that. Moses, in trying to help his people, ran ahead of the Lord and killed the Egyptian. And then later, against the command of God, he struck the rock in anger. How's Moses a hero of the faith? He escaped living in that. When David should have known better, he stayed at home and committed adultery with Bathsheba and then plotted the murder of her husband. But David was still a man after God's own heart. And he figured out how to escape out of the past failures rather than living in it and it going over and over and over in his head so that it stymied him and paralyzed him and he could never move forward. He escaped notice out of that, and that's what Paul is talking about when he's saying forgetting those things behind. I know they're all there. I know the record there. It says a rap sheet is long, but I've escaped out of that because I'm moving forward. I'm escaping out of that, out of that quicksand and out of that deep miry clay. I'm not going to live there. I'm going to move forward. I am escaping out of that. Peter, in spite of his self-confidence and his great boast, denied the Lord, and as did the rest of the disciples, and fled before the evening of Jesus' arrest was over. What helps you escape? Revelation chapter 12, verse 13, one of my favorite verses in the book of Revelation. 
is found in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he's talking about the devil, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. And the woman, to the woman, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. So the serpent is there. The predator is there. He is coming and he is going to try his best to wreak havoc. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'll give you wings. And he gives wings and the wings give the ability to the man child woman becomes a type of the church which means that God puts the Holy Ghost in you and the Holy Ghost allows you to escape when the serpent comes I have some wings not only do I have wings but I have the ability to run fast so that I can outpace the enemy outpace the cheetah outpace nature because God has given to me the ability to escape The Holy Ghost helps you fly higher and run faster. You know, when you were a little boy, I remember a little boy with these shoes that had lights on the back. I was convinced that they could make you run faster. And so I would buy the new pairs of shoes and I would tell my mom, watch mom how fast I can run. It was almost like Jeff Grafton jumping and trying to measure how high he was jumping. That didn't get much of a laugh, so some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. There was a guy, he's not here anymore, his name was Jeff Grafton. One night during service over there in the gymnasium, this happened like 1998, the choir was really singing. And Jeff was worshiping with everybody else until people kind of noticed. <sighs> Something's not right there because he was going. He's measuring how high he was jumping. I was convinced that if these new shoes make you run fast. As a matter of fact, David Granillo told me that the new court over there in the gym, he thinks he can dunk. It's, it's kind of like that. <laughs> you're, you're never, I, I feel sorry to break it to you, bro, but you're never getting that high, okay, to dunk that ball. But this is what God does. When he fills us with the Holy Ghost, he helps us escape from the predator or from our past. It's the catalyst that gives you the ability to escape from the debilitating disaster of living in the ruins of your past. Hmm, it's the comforter. <laughs> It is the spirit of truth. The Bible says you shall receive a lack of power. No, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What is that doing? It's giving me the ability to escape notice of the things that are behind me. They can't control me anymore because, God, it's not that I'm forgetting them and they're all of a sudden gone. Oh, I know they're still there, but I'm thankful there is something in me that's greater than all of that stuff that would try its best to bind me, control me, pile drive me, God's spirit and his anointing. 
Hallelujah. As we stand to our feet, musicians come. Just Brother McAllister, give me something to conclude. We don't need any singers here tonight. I hope this has helped you. It certainly has helped me. It's liberated me because I've struggled with some things. The enemy will come and crop up and make you feel about two feet tall. How in the world could you ever say something so stupid or do something so dumb? Then you read Paul saying he forgets those things which are behind. What Paul's saying and the root word of what he's using is you're, you're escaping that. And God's giving you the ability to escape out of the hand of the enemy that would try his very best to stymie you and stop you from moving forward. I want you to hear me. You hear me? If God has put a calling on your life and you've made a mess of it, there's a new day. Oh, I'll never be used. I'll never be used because I made a huge mistake and and I, I made a mess of things. Yeah, and you'll live in the calamity of that, and you'll never get out of that, and your life will always be defined by that. You listen to this, Pastor, all right? I'm telling you, you need to escape notice. Well, come on, somebody. Or do we want to say, no, you'll never make it? Nah. Yosef, nobody's ever going to forgive you. Nobody will ever forget. I'll tell you, that's not true. And God has every intention of saying, you know what? Saul did all these things, and yet he became the greatest missionary that God ever used that impacted the entire world. After the horrible carnage and Confederate retreat at Gettysburg, General Robert E. Lee wrote this to Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy. We must expect reverses, even defeats. They are sent to teach us wisdom and prudence to call forth greater energies and to prevent our falling into greater disasters. The things you have escaped from are the very things that push you forward. So it's okay to remember because you will never ever forget, but God gives you the power to turn those things into a testimony to help others. I want to conclude tonight with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. Paul said he had a thorn in the flesh. He approached God three times. Verse number 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, says Paul, therefore will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, be strong. When I'm not putting confidence in myself is really where I need to be because I'm trusting in God. I can't do this without you, God. It's not within my own capacity. Praise God, but I can trust in you to help me escape notice. Anybody thankful here tonight?
Praise God. Why don't you lift your hands tonight? Lord, I thank you and praise you. I love you and magnify your great name. <laughs> I praise you. You're a God that gives to us the capacity and the ability to escape from the things that would so, so try to keep us from moving forward in your kingdom, doing the work of God. I thank you and praise you and worship you. Somebody thankful tonight. Why don't you let that out?